this might be the first time this has ever been said of people from WA. You're far too kind. So. I am so good at alienating audiences. By the way, in my very humble estimation, hard to be humble here too. Y'all have that one polished to a fine shine. In my mind, Thursday night, the thing we're doing for couples, and by the way, it's younger, older, uh, married, not, weird and wonderful, or not, it, for anyone. Uh, in my mind, this might be some of my, it's for me one of the more fun experiences of anything I do. Just did one of these in Canada, and it was, uh, afterwards, it was one of those things, no one, no one left, and I'm going, please go home, it's late. And pe people just sort of sat around, having these unique sort of looks at each other. Thought, huh, they must not hear this kind of stuff often. Either that or the men were afraid to go home. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't know, I don't know which. You, 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 you feel me, don't you? You feel me, yep, I hear you. I've been around a long time. Hey, let's continue the series. Press on, today press in. And then next week press through. For, forgive me, when I reference so many things as fun, but in my, in my mind, the life of faith, this opportunity we have to be connected with the God of the universe. I mean, how much more fun can you have? That he welcomes you, we sing about it, but then to experience it. So today, in my mind for the series, this one's the most fun. At least it's the one I think is the most fun. And if I do my job right, eh, you'll get on the team. So let's talk about your views of God. We have to. Your views of God are so diverse. And one of the things that has, from the time I was a young minister until this week, one of the things that fascinates me is how unusually awkward some people's views of God are. And they're not just people outside of the realms of faith. Let's just start with images. I speak lots of places and I have to clarify what God is like. I could actually do a whole series, I think, across the planet, universities, um, places where people are not very thoughtful at all, and in places where people think they're excessively thoughtful. Because the images of God are just so off. My favorite one is, so often, he is much like a Greek god, looking a bit like, well, Phil does in his mind. You asked me to work you in, so I did. <laughs> God is this hairy thunderer of the heavens, looking a bit incredibly muscular like a Greek god. And he's scanning the planet, waiting for someone, someone, to make one mistake. And he throws a lightning bolt of judgment, and he gets you every time. You know this one. On the other side, we always call it the West Coast of America. God is the cosmic muffin of the planet. 
He just loves everyone. Can't you feel? There's a group hug coming. It's just so warm and special. Isn't it special? No, not really. But see, often your views of God come out in your questions. I've mentioned I teach this, I actually run this doctoral program in New York. And one of the things we teach the students is not only we're going to be a little tough on you by the questions you ask, because the questions you ask reveal your views of God. They reveal your sort of subtle implications of things you don't understand. They tell us a lot about you as a person. And so I I don't like to do this, but in the midst of a course, I just finished one last month, and I think I had 30 doctoral students in this course. And in the midst of someone asking a question, we'd stop and say to the the whole group, tell us four things about this person based on the question they just asked. So we're not trying to out you, but we've got to get much more insightful as the doctors of the church. We've got to get far more insightful about people's questions and your own issues. And it was, it was helpful and awkward for people to hear, based on their question alone, the four things people could pick up about them, just based on their question. When I was going through our toughest stuff, both personally and stuff with Diana, I actually had a young woman say to me, Martin, when I pray for you, I wonder what awful things you must have done that God had to do this to you. Uh-huh. Be careful, though. You hate it when you hear it out loud. But sometimes, sometimes, your statements have similar capacity in them. I had just finished preaching, and it was one of those churches where I was supposed to go stand at the door. I don't enjoy those very much. Um, And because people feel obligated to say something, but instead of saying something useful, sometimes they just say something. And so, and so I was standing there, and there was a chap coming out. He was a bit older than me, and he paused, and he shook my hand. And he goes, Martin, I just want to challenge you. Now, when you've just finished preaching the best of what you think God's placed in your heart, you always love it when some bloke feels like it's his responsibility to challenge you. So I said, bring it on, mate. He said, Martin, you do a really good job at many things. I, I knew I wasn't going to say thank you yet, because I knew there was something else coming. And he said, but you go really soft on judgment. I said, huh. I said, "Uh, in the passage I preached this morning, was there any judgment in the passage? He goes, well, no. I said, then why would I preach judgment if it's not in the passage? He said, well, you seem to pick passages. (laughs) I'm going, mate, you've heard me twice. And I said, then can I just ask a few questions? He was reluctant. He said, sure. And I said, you like judgment, don't you? He goes, it really has its place. And I said, oh, it has a big place in your life, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Two very simple questions. Wait, do you have children? Said, yeah. He said, do your children love you? Wait, we're going through a hard time. Said, yeah, I bet you are. Put my hand in the middle of his chest. I said, please don't you challenge anybody else again until you discover what it's like to understand the heart of the Father. Well, he didn't thank me. <laughs> Pushed my hand away and left quickly. 
I didn't see him for the next several weeks. It was about three weeks later, I saw his wife, and I said, uh, haven't seen your husband. I called him by name. She goes, yeah, you're not his favorite person right now. <laughs> I understand that. She goes, but something's happening. She said, in the 29 years we've been married, I don't think I've ever seen him cry, and he's cried a lot the last three weeks. She said, I got a call from two of our four children that said, does dad have something terminal? Because he's different. Yeah, he is. Two weeks later, she stopped by. He still hadn't come back to church. She said, Martin, please pray for us. She said, the Sunday afternoon today, we're getting together as a family for the first time in seven and a half years. The kids want to see their dad. Let's press in in a way that you get things you've maybe never gotten before. This is not going to be a fun sermon just listen to. It's one you got to do something with. You've heard it. The greatest of the commandments. Doesn't matter which testament you read. It kind of starts with this one. Love the Lord your God. With all. All your heart. We don't even have to go anyplace else. That, that one can feed you for most of the rest of your days. With all your heart. All your soul, all your mind, all your strength. All. Since that's the simplest approach of both Testaments, when God inspired his word, that's what he said. When Jesus had a chance to reiterate, here's the best of what I know about my father, he said the same thing. Well, don't miss it. Don't miss it. One more time. Don't miss it. Press in. This passage in Philippians that we have been looking at Paul says, look, I want to leave behind everything that was sort of the best of what I thought I was in my own strength. The best of what my culture, my upbringing, my religion, the best of all of that. I want to leave that behind for one simple reason. I want to know Christ. I want to know the power of his resurrection. I want to know him. I want to know the best of what he has revealed of the Father. I want to know this. And therefore, leaving all this other stuff behind, I'm going to press on. I'm going to press on. Two sides of today. One is you can't do it in your own strength. That's why we're going to frame this of how do you access things you've never accessed. But number two, you do it with this steely, disciplined focus. I press on. I press on. Well, if you're going to press in, what are you pressing into? Uh, it's the father of your soul. If you're not familiar with Psalm 103, read it until it makes sense to you. It's probably one of the clearest descriptions of what God is like as Father. For those of you who weren't a great father, didn't have a great father, never seen a good image of a father, read it and reread it until it makes sense to you. One of the great things about God, and especially these descriptors in Psalm 103, is he's not soft. He comes across with great strength. But, but then unique phrases like he's on your side. So Psalm 103 just starts off with bless the Lord over my soul and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. And then he outlines what it is that he gives you. It's as if he's offering you an inheritance that it's your job to claim. 
this is a unique passage because it's, there are seven different words in the Hebrew Testament for soul. This is a unique one. This is one that literally says, bless the Lord, O my throat. If it was translated literally, it would be no one's favorite psalm. I mean, think about it. That's not very literary. Bless the Lord, O my throat. But the psalmist, the ancients knew from old that it was the throat through which all of life passed. Air, water, breath, all through this passageway. Two fingers strategically placed can take someone's life. Don't recommend it. Wait till Thursday night, we'll help you. <laughs> you laughed, you laughed too much on that one. Yeah. But he's saying from the depths of my being, I wanna bless, praise, thank this God, the father of your soul. This soul thing is crucial. When you press in, it's you get the father's presence. And when you've been in the Father's presence, it seems to stick to you. So that when people are around you, they kind of know you've been with him. It's that distinct. There's something about your character. It's not how religious you are. That's kind of the opposite. See, some of you carry his presence until you talk. And then you undo it with religious terminology that no one gets. Last Sunday night, son Bo spoke and he talked about when you really get the gospel, you become the weightiest thing in the room. It's the presence of God, you carry it. Now, some of us show up, we're the weightiest thing in the room anyway. Thank you. Thanks for not laughing too much on that one. I've watched young and old, male and female show up and you just go, they've been with him. I can see it. You see it, sense it, hear it, feel it. It's, they've been with him. It's the presence. It's also the Father's heart, the Father's love when you press in. The end of Psalm 103. He just describes, the psalmist does, that here's what the Father is like. I'll just read it for you. High as the heavens are above the earth, so great is the love he has for those who love, fear him. As far as the east is from the west. Again, the rising of the sun is from the setting of the sun. So far as he removed all of your transgressions from us. As a father has compassion upon his children, so the Lord has compassion upon those who are his. There is this sense. You're not just forgiven. You're, you're free. You're released. You have a chance at wholeness now when you follow through. I don't want to overstate this, but one of the most effective things I have been able to do in the last number of years, again, as a man in my 50s, how do I get access to the souls of younger men? Like you put an old guy who's a professor. Now, I'm not just a professor. I run a doctoral program. So, I mean, imagine this. When your title is doctor, you only hang out with advanced uni students and your doctorate's in theology, you're not known as the most interesting person on the planet for those people outside of faith. How do I get access to them? Well, if I tried to spend money, then they'd think I'm the creepy old man. So I just figured out the easiest thing to do was have good cigars 
and invite young men to have a conversation about their soul. And they go, what do you mean my soul? To the side of you where you never go. Are you man enough to do it for an hour? I'll provide the best cigar you'll ever have on the planet. I want an hour, and I want your soul. <laughs> There's enough intrigue to that, as long as they have mates with them, they're willing to come. And so they come usually about a dozen at a time. A dozen at a time's nice. Jesus picked 12. Um, but here's what I find so intriguing. We just get started. They make great statements about how amazing the cigars are. I know, I know. That's why I brought them. I say, that's not why we're here. Question number one. I said, I wanted an hour to talk about your soul. How big a role does anger play in your life? I told you I was going to take you to the side of your life where you never go. How big a role does anger play in your life? Now, there's never a young bloke in his 20s sits around and goes, I, I don't know. I, I have no anger issues. Well, then we'll break your nose and let's see what happens. <laughs> Come on, quit lying to yourself, quit lying to us. It's intriguing to me when they start to talk, what comes out? The disappointments, the anger, the giant frustrations, the people who've hurt them, disappointed them, the sides that begin to come out. It's a very simple transition with about four or five minutes to go in our hour to just simply say, now I'm gonna tell you what nobody in your life's ever told you, is that real men, not the kind of blokes you hang out with, but real men love God. And when you love God, here's what it's like. And here's what he is like as father. And he's nothing like the people who've hurt you, disappointed you, let you down. The people who've annoyed the stuff out of you, that's not him. Here's what he's like. So now here's what we have to figure out. You guys act big. Are you man enough to give control of your life over to him or not? Ooh, that's a good night. That's a good night. I'm, I'm very surprised, having done this in, I think, 16 countries now, with young men from well over 30 countries. Haven't found a place that doesn't work yet. Because you're accessing the soul with the very presence and heart of the Father. Now, I figured this out. There's nothing magic about cigars. I promise you. But there is something magic about those kind of conversations in a setting where people go, huh, never thought of it that way. What does it look like to press in? It's where you see, understand, connect with him as father. I can't outline it more simply. We'll hit it one more time. It's the simplicity of loving him, again, with all your heart. For some reason, that last part's the one that gets some of us off. We like that God's a supplement in our life. But with all your heart. As Jesus said in John 14, see what the Spirit of God's up to and then go there with him. That's how, that's how you're going to see the Father. Identify what he's up to and say, I'm going to be with him there. It's not very complex, folks. But the key then is to renounce your performance standards. You never ask, how well am I doing? You're never doing that well. 
by God's standards. He's just going, no, no, don't, don't do the performance thing. Just come be with me. When you read through Mark's gospel, the whole first half of Mark's gospel simply said, and Jesus was with his disciples. That's all it says. Not very profound, except they were with him. They were with him in the best and the worst moments of their life. They were with him, and he was with them. Renounce this sense of duty. Anytime you find yourself saying, I should, or I need to, or I'm going to try harder, cut something off of your life. Finger, toe, something. Just get over it. By the way, you have a phrase among you. I'm going to work on that. Don't ever work on anything. I'll tell you why. Uh, it's just simply human effort. And almost, almost everyone fails. I'm going to work on that. By the way, you talk bigger than you deliver. God knows it. We know it. So get, get over that one. And this is where when you go back to the father of your soul and go, yeah, this is, I, I think I need you on this one. You and I are going to work at this one together. I'm giving this one to you. And you're going to give me your presence and power. We're going to try and do this one together. And any of you get rid of every should in your life. Don't should on yourself, as the phrase goes. <laughs> I didn't make it up. I didn't make it up. You see what happens here when you press in? Is you, you start to have this sense of like authentic wisdom. Authentic wisdom is one of the coolest things ever. And if, if we want a definition, when, under, when wisdom comes, you begin to understand how much you don't understand. Now, last week we had a great moment and uh, Riley was installed as one of the team members here. He needs prayers. He really needs <laughs> prayers. But you know what kind of prayers he needs? God, whatever it takes to structure his life that he can understand wisdom, give it to him. Because to move from his stage to well beyond mine, it's wisdom. It's just simple wisdom. It's how to pray for him. And the experiences he'll go through to get there. How do you press in? The classic spiritual disciplines are probably our best thing. In, uh, in Dallas Willard's book, The Spirit of the Disciplines, his subtitle says it all. That it's in the subtitle where he says, it's when the church has been at its best, they've known the power of God. It's his classic spiritual disciplines. Just this week, I was on the phone with somebody, and they had a little bit of whinging in their voice when I suggested taking on some of the spiritual disciplines. And I said... They're called spiritual disciplines for a reason. They're not called spiritual fun experiences. <laughs> the outcomes are fun, spiritual depth. The, who says, I'm going to spend 40 days fasting. I'm so looking forward to this. I'm going to spend all night praying and then go to work. Come on, who, who hopes for that one? I'm going to spend a couple of weeks not talking to anyone. Oh, some of you have done that, but without a commitment to God. <laughs> we'll, we'll deal with that Thursday night. 
in the groups that we function in in the bottom. We ask everyone, we just suggest everyone that you do a complete life confession. Now, whoever sits around and says, I want to get three of my closest friends and I want to walk them through every part of my life and expose it and humiliate myself in front of my closest friends. If you are one of those kind of people, you're sick. <laughs> but we've also discovered that for most people, it's the one thing that keeps them from going to the next level. So you take care of that. And then finally, celebration. My sense is, if you capture this one, the spirit of celebration, that that becomes part of the structured faith of your life, you will be a different person in your culture. Like, I live in New York with fun party people, and they tell me, Martin, you celebrate better than anybody we've ever met. I know. For me, all of life's a celebration. And that doesn't mean life's always great. You know that. You know part of my story. But you still celebrate the best of God. And you help people do it, and you bring them along with you. I'm convinced that a good life of celebration is better than the after parties at the Oscars. Because you remember <laughs> good stuff afterwards. A life of celebration. So how do you get there as you start to press in? Well, part of this is just simply the Father's voice. Both Testaments, both Testaments, talk about the Father's voice or the voice of his spirit. And what I find so intriguing is that good churches and good people like you don't hear the Father's voice often. We, we hear all the time. Why don't you talk about hearing the Father's voice? I never hear it. And I said, do you have ears to hear? Jesus asked that one. Let me read the Gospels again or those chapters two and three of Revelation. It says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. It's pretty simple. So let me just walk through it one more time. It comes in stillness. You decide what stillness looks like for you. It doesn't have to be quiet to still your soul. You listen and you take the time and you simply ask him to speak. In the old ancient writers, they would, they would pray this prayer. Lord, speak, your servant is listening. And then they would sit in silence. Sitting in silence is hard for us. There's just so many things running. We actually do these spiritual discipline things in New York City and say, even in places like Times Square and Central Park, you can do silence. It's not about the noise around you. It's the inner noise of your own mind and head and heart. And then use all of your senses. What do you see, sense, hear, feel, experience? And sometimes he'll come to you in words, actual words. Some of you will go, I don't want to say I heard God speak, but I kind of did. Some of you, you have what you call a knower. I, I, don't, I, don't, I can't describe it. I just kind of know I heard. Some of you will sense something. Some of you are feelers, and you'll feel it. He'll make it so clear. Now, there are some of you who are going, why don't you say the Bible? Well, it's assumed that when you read that, you'll get it. But also, when God spoke in the earliest testament, 
All they had was the law. By the way, very few times in the Hebrew Testament does somebody say, as I was reading Deuteronomy, the Lord spoke to me and said, it just doesn't happen. So he had to speak to them in unique ways. And he still does. So when it comes, write it down, test it. There's a church I do a partnership with in Detroit. Detroit's sort of the northern Midwest of the U.S., an old industrial city, one of the places that has the most racial tensions of any place in America. And I've helped a church there work on a racial reconciliation project that really needs to be written up. It's just been phenomenal what's happened there. When I started with the church, it was 7.5% black. Currently, it's almost exactly 50-50. And they're learning to live out faith together in unique ways. Helped them hire staff originally. And then I came back to them and said, the elders, this won't work if half your elders aren't black. And they said this interesting thing. They said, yeah, we're, we're very happy to, except we don't have anybody who meets the criteria. And I said, let's reverse roles for a minute. If those guys were the elders, none of you would get voted in either. <laughs> because in their world, it's passion and expression. And y'all are a little dull. But one of the things we've done is created Sunday evenings called the listening room, where we just listen to what God's saying to people individually and to the church of how to move ahead. First time we did it, I did a thing on how to hear the Father's voice. And then afterwards, just did a thing that no good speaker should ever do. We did an open mic. But we told people, at 60 seconds, someone will have you be seated. Nine of the 10 people who spoke were men mostly in their 50s, almost all of them choking back tears and said, first time I ever heard my father's voice. Go after this one with all your heart. And then keep doing it. It's not like you get it once and it goes away. Press into the father's love. Let's begin to identify what's hidden below our awarenesses. I have a great guy in my life named Bill. I like Bill. He has less hair than me, probably slightly uh, worse shape than me, but a great guy. And he's younger, and he's new to faith, and God's just doing great stuff in his life. And not long ago, a group of us were talking to Bill about his awarenesses need to go up, and he goes, wait, stop. He goes, every time I take an assessment at work, I am the most aware of anyone on my team. And I just simply said to him, Bill, you're very aware of the things you're aware of. <laughs> it's that stuff you're not aware of that's killing you. He goes, okay, you have to help me because this doesn't make sense to me. And we go, we know. And so we began to pray for his awarenesses. <laughs> and about three weeks later, he sent a text to all of us and he goes, please stop. <laughs> I, I liked it better when I didn't know about this stuff. Because I, I was a great guy in my mind. I know, in your mind, you're amazing, Bill. You're amazing. The guarded heart. We started that when I first got here a few weeks ago. Go back and listen to it if you need to. And then there's the false bottom. Let's talk about it for just a moment. I would never have made it as an artist. 
heart of the issue we're going to address this week and next is how do I access the parts I don't know about, the parts I don't know how to go there, the parts I'd rather not go to? You see, for some of us, loving God with all our heart, we can only love out of the capacity we're aware of. And he's going, I want to expand your capacity. I think Dean's going to start a series after I'm gone on just how to do that. Some of the prayers that make a difference of how do you access that stuff that's not yet evident. Here's my favorite. I was actually with somebody not long ago who inherited a grandfather's chest. Nobody else in the family wanted it. He goes, I'll, I'll take it. And they were surprised because it wasn't very good quality, but it was very heavy. You're going, huh, you wouldn't think with this poor construction this thing would be heavy. No one checked it. They looked and it was empty. And it was there when he opened it. It had a false bottom. And in the false bottom were treasures. His grandfather had this very unique collection of pocket knives. The kid remembered, the guy now remembered when he was a kid. He went, I always wanted one of those. I got all of them. And where his grandfather lived, in America, the Native Americans, the Indians, used to use arrowheads. They were a flint piece of rock that they'd sharpen with a very sharp point. And where the grandfather lived, they used to just walk through the fields and collect them. That's why the chest was heavy. It was what was below what anyone could see. Folks, look at me. If you've zoned out, come back for the next 30 seconds. Come on. There is, there is a false bottom in your life. I promise. There is a false bottom in your heart. Things that are there you've not accessed. There's clearly a false bottom in your soul. It's where the secret stuff stays. Sometimes the secret stuff is great stuff. And the father of your soul is going, come on, I, I, can, I can make, if this is the best you think life is, I can do way better. Access the rest and give it to me. Come on, give it to me. But it's also down there where the secrets stay. When you're doing something illegal, I just saw a show this week on your television. It was one of those detective shows. And they were convinced this high-dollar jewelry store was also doing drugs. Couldn't find it. Finally, after the third visit, one of the detectives took his uh, weapon, smashed the glass, reached down through and pulled out all the jewelry, and it had a false bottom. The false bottom's where the drugs stayed. Simple prayer. God, what's down there? What are the treasures hidden that you want to access and bring out? What are the secrets? Just got a call from one of the chaps I'm mentoring. He said, Martin, I had one of the most fun and yet worst experiences of my life this week. He said, my grandmother's soon to pass and she asked to see me. So my grandmother's 86 years old. 
goes, I'm 29. My grandmother wanted to see me because I'm a minister. And she told me about an abortion she had before they were legal when she was a teenager and no one ever knew. And she wanted him to know to pray with her. He said, then she took my hands and she said, don't let anyone else keep a secret for 70 years. He goes, it hurts your life. I'm just passing on the wisdom of an 86-year-old woman. This is not a preacher talking. This is an old woman who finally, finally got some freedom from what was under the false bottom. Now, that's the dark side. Some of you, there's not dark side. I don't know. This is one, this is one of my weaknesses. I, I'm overly optimistic. I could look at you and go, uh, and count on one hand the number of dark side issues here. You might surprise me. If it's there, do it, as the Bible would say, with all your heart. But I'm as interested in the rest of you that there is hidden treasure down there. That if accessed, oh dear God, what could this look like? But if you don't access it, you'll never know, we'll never know. I'm done and so are you. Let's access this with all your heart. The Father's voice. This will give courage, strength, strength to your soul. For some of you, there will be new phrases that run in your head when you press in. For some of you, there'll be new images of yourself. The one I like is when you get a new name. Both Testaments, people got new names. There are people that actually the Spirit of God says, it's time for you to have a new name. You don't get one because you want one. For those of you that are demanding, he may not give you one. <laughs> but for some of you, your life's going to be so significantly and categorically different. He'll give you a new name. When you press in, you'll access more of his presence. You'll have an expanded capacity. You will reflect more of him. And you will be, you will be the weightiest thing in the room. There will be a weightiness to you that you bring. That will either draw people or annoy the stuff out of them. But either way, you've carried his presence. I'm going to ask you to just take a couple moments. Reflect for a minute. We're going to end in a song, but more than that, some of you, you kind of need an expression of this. So in just about the next 15 seconds, if you're going, I want to be one who presses in. And I don't need to think about it. I don't need to wrestle with God on it. Just today I'm going to go, no, I'm going to press in. I want to be one of those. So in the next eight seconds, I'm just going to ask you to stand and I'm going to walk you through a very specific prayer of pressing in. Take a moment. This one's for you, not for me. If you're one, just saying, I'm pressing in. Just stand where you are.
God, your heart is smiling right now. For a number of reasons. One, you're going, in a clear Aussie accent, you're going, good on you. And you're also going, thank you, but you have no idea what you're asking for. But thank you. Let's do this together. This partnership, come on, you, me, my very presence, the, the father of your soul, the one who loves you, the one who has dreams for you. I want to work with you. I don't care if you've got four years left or 80 years left. Let's do this one together. There's a freedom that you've never had. I want to give you. It's time to access the secrets and let them go. It's time to welcome. Oh, it's time to welcome the treasures that are there that have not been accessed because you've played it safe. Now, come on. Press in. Press in. Not just when it's convenient. Press in. For each of you who are standing right now in this moment, may the Father of your soul welcome you in a way that it'll be so clear to you. By the time you go to sleep tonight, it will be so clear to you. I've got the Father's welcome. I've got it. And so on Monday afternoon and Wednesday morning and late on Friday, just remember the phrase, I'm pressing into the Father's heart. I'm pressing in. I'm going to carry his presence. I'm going to carry his presence. And welcome and enjoy it. Those around you will enjoy it with you. In Christ's name, amen.